Thanks for tuning into the Life in the Front Office podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And thanks to Suja Organic for their support. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Sujo Organic. Excited to have my guest on and David King, Vice President of Corporate Partnerships for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And nonetheless, David, just incredible guy. Um, looking forward to seeing what he continues to accomplish in his career. Uh, but we're going to have him on today to talk a little, about, a little bit about corporate partnership space and making that transition into partnerships uh, along with the other areas of the business and, and how do you transfer some of those skills if you don't have any experience. Uh, David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me, man. Good to see you. Likewise. It's been it's been a long time coming. I, I worked with Brian DeTucci at the tour and and DeTucci would always say, oh yeah, David King was the best. So I got to have you on the pod. Tucci was the best. He, yeah, he um, was, I think my first boss, um, when I, when I started working for the A's and is great. And, uh, every now and then we get a chance to catch up via text, but, um, I know he's doing well down in Florida. All right. So I have to ask them, what's the one thing that you learned from Tooch that just sticks with you through your career today? Oh man, he was, uh, he was a hustle guy. So it was like, you know, he was a great person to learn from, like, as I kind of started in the industry. Cause he was all about hustle and just the grind and the grit. And as you know, like that's a big part of being successful. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I miss those times and those were a lot of fun times, but he, he was very much about the grind, the grit, the hustle. So that's definitely stuck with me. When, when you started out with the A's and on the ticket side, did you think that you would ever get into corporate partnerships? Was that a goal of yours or, um, I, early on, I don't know if I'd say it was a goal. I don't know if I knew enough about it for it to be a goal. I was really excited just to be in sports and what, you know, started to learn pretty quickly, um, about just the business of sports when I got in there. Um, and then as I got a better understanding and started to learn more about what we did at the A's and started to pay, pay more attention to maybe what other teams were doing. I think that's when I started to raise my hand a little bit and say, Hey, this is something that I'm curious about. And again, I was proactive and spending some time with the folks on the ACE team um, where I could ask questions and, and kind of, uh, I think, showcase some curiosity. Um, but no, I mean, I, when I first got at the A's, like 110% of my attention was focused on trying to sell tickets because it wasn't easy with the Giants winning every other World Series, it seemed like. Um, so it was, uh, it was a great opportunity to learn, though, and that wouldn't change a thing for sure. When you think about your experience in selling a team that is going up against the, the Bay Area rival, right, that's winning all the time, uh, it's not as easy of a sell. Does that make you a better salesperson in the long run? And for those that are trying to get into the industry or, or looking to get into sales, what's kind of that ideal for sales gig based on the team, the location, what you're going to learn? Yeah, I... I love it at the A's. I can't tell you how many times I got calls from people asking like, Hey, do you guys sell giants tickets too? Can I get giants tickets to you? No, it's completely different. Um, so I, it, to me, it was a perfect experience because 
it was hard as hell. And um, the team wasn't great. The stadium was kind of was what it was still as a day. Um, and so like, I think the harder the situation, the better, honestly. And again, it doesn't feel like that that's the route you want to go at the moment and at the time, because you want things to be a little bit easier, maybe a little bit less resistance. Um, but looking back, like, I don't know anything else that could have been better for me because it gets you to think creatively, you, you work harder than you've ever worked before. Um, you learn from the people that like have been successful in those types of roles with those types of organizations. And so um, not to say that teams that, you know, are winning, like don't have their own set of challenges because they do. And I'm sure I would have learned something different if I would have gone to work for the giants. Um, but for me, like just the, the resistance that I met early on in my career, I think set the tone for just um, thinking innovatively, thinking different, pushing myself, those kinds of things that have helped to shape me into what I do and who I am today. What got you into sports originally? Um, I think I was one, I played basketball in college, um, was always really passionate about sports. I played baseball for two years in college as well. Um, so there was just a love of sports, which everybody has. Um, and then I think just the curiosity of the business side of it. Um, I, my, my dad was always in sales. And so I think I wanted to be in sales. And then when I recognized the ability to, to marry the two with sports and sales, like didn't have to say anything else to me. So I was, uh, I was pretty excited about getting in there. I was from North, I'm from North Carolina. So I moved out to the Bay area knowing that there were a number of teams out there and would be more opportunity there. Um, I had a brother that lived out there. Um, there'd be more opportunity there than there would be maybe in the, in the Carolinas. So um, it worked out and it's been a fun last number of years. So walk us through your, your transition from the A's to the Timberwolves and kind of how you went about it um, going from the ticket side, eventually into, into corporate partnerships. Yeah. So when I was at the A's, the last couple of years I was there, I, um, I got my uh, master's degree from Ohio university who had just, started opening up the online program. So um, you're back in Athens a couple times a year, and then um, you're working through your professional master's degree online primarily. Um, we had a really strong class um, of professionals that were doing a lot of different things from, I think um, Diana Sabo at the time was the number two or three at Ohio State. Um, Corey Breton was our vice president of ticket sales here. Jared Krisloff was the, I think, head of marketing for the Indy 500. So there's a lot of folks in that, that class that opened my eyes to a lot. So over the course of that two years, it became really clear to me um, that I wanted to, to, to move into the world of partnerships. Um, and I'd had some exposure to it and worked a little bit on the A side, but not a ton. Um, Corey, um, again, who was at the, the Timberwolves at the time, just said, hey, you've got to meet Steve Mullins, who you know very well now, um, who Steve had just gotten here uh, at the Timberwolves and the Lynx. And again, had the conversation and started talking back in 2014 and, and made the move pretty quickly after that, not knowing a whole lot about Minnesota. Um, got a lot of weird looks from telling people in California that I was moving to Minnesota, um, but it has, it's worked out well, for sure. And when you think about the the transition, what's the hardest part of, call it the first six months of a job, especially in sales, right? Because 
you've got a number, you're trying, you're trying to get out in front of things, you're trying to set meetings. What's the hardest part about going into a new organization within sales in the first, you know, six to 12 months? Um, yeah, I'd say first probably six to 12 weeks. The biggest thing is kind of six to 12 weeks. First of all, is like the narrative, um, the resistance, like the things in the marketplace. Cause I remember coming here in the first couple of weeks, having a couple of conversations with people. We had just traded for Andrew Wiggins, who's the number one pick. And I started to talk about the future and the, the possibilities and the vision. And, and I got like, got a couple of funny looks of people are like, you're not from here. Um, <laughs> is maybe you know something that you're not as familiar with so i think just like those nuances that come with any organization in any marketplace um i think at the beginning um first six to 12 months i don't know i i think moving from the ticket sales uh space into partnerships the biggest difference to me was just the ability to have really dynamic marketing conversations as opposed to conversations more based around hospitality, which I think the hospitality conversations are, have become more, a little bit more broad in terms of the way you can position things. Um, but you're now sitting across the table from a CMO that she or he has been there for 20 years doing what they've been doing. And you were supposed to be the professional as it relates to how they can leverage your business to elevate theirs and to hit on kind of what their key goals and objectives are. So that was a little bit different and took a little bit of time to, to learn. It was something I'd spent a lot of time on just in terms of researching, educating myself around how to have those types of conversations, even when I was with the A's. Um, but yeah, that was probably the biggest, I guess, difference in the first, the first part of uh, moving from tickets into partnerships. And with that transition, how did you go about preparing yourself in the organization that you were in, again, you, like you mentioned, having some of those conversations, learning from other people to at least be able to have an understanding of how your skills could transfer, right? Because you then have to have those conversations with whoever's going to hire you and, and you know, be able to do what you're going to do when you walk in the door. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think for me, it was um, learning by osmosis and finding the people that I wanted to surround myself within the organization that we're doing at a high level. And then also like getting connected to peers um, around the industry, but specifically the MBA that were a couple years ahead of me from where I was at, that maybe where I was maybe a few years back, um, which I felt like it was kind of cheating a little bit, right? Because a lot of times you just go head down and learn by osmosis and learn by doing, which is powerful. Um, but getting a chance to have really open, honest conversations with people that had been doing it for a few years that were a few years ahead of me was really helpful. Um, Steve always talked about high yield activity, right? Um, from a sales standpoint. And I thought about that just as much as it related to my skill set and knowledge and understanding and the types of conversations that I was having. So I made sure once a week, at least I had a call with a counterpart um, around the league or around a different league or around a different team even if there was no set schedule, even if I had never met uh, him or her before, it's, uh, it was just about like getting a chance to meet people, ask questions, learn from them. And a lot of times those 30 minute conversations were some of the richest um, parts of my week, right? That really helped me to become a better salesperson and, and uh, ultimately a better leader. 
Yeah. And when you think about your network, right, you're, you're growing it inside the industry. How did you then think about growing your network in the brand space, knowing that that's the space you need to then know people to be successful? Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, going back to kind of what the conversation around was too, like was grind. And so it was just, there's no shortcuts there um, other than just hard work. Right. I think, and also that first year, you look back and kind of recognize, you know, that high yield activity wasn't maybe a part of my approach the way it should have been. But I also think it helped me to learn, um, you know, the, then it becomes how am I spending a lot of time on the right types of categories and the right types of prospective partners and right types of relationships that may not yield fruit in the next three, four, five months. Um, but would yield significant fruit in the next 12 to 24 months. Um, and so I think I, I learned that over time, but there was, you know, that the first six months, there was a little bit of that mentality of just, you know, more is better, right? More is more. <laughs> and then uh, it, you know, shifted a little bit into the working smarter, um, but also working smarter and harder. So like, it just, um, I think I just, I, I got a little bit more focused on like where the fruit would come from rather than just putting my head down and, and reaching out to as many people as possible. Grew my network, um, but maybe it wasn't the, the most fruitful network that it could have been in the, uh, the first six, 12 months. I think someone in the, in, in the shoes that you've walked in, right, goes, okay, I know however many people, right? And it's impossible to keep in touch with everybody. And you know, think about the touch points throughout the year or whatever it might be. Like you obviously want to create those, you know, those in-depth relationships, right. With people across the board, but there's only so much time in a day. So how do you go about being selective of the types of relationships you're building, how you're building them, who you're keeping in touch with and so on? Yeah. Like I, there's an element to transactional is a really dirty word that I, you know, that a lot of people don't like to use. I think there's a, there's, um, it feels transactional almost in the process. When you keep a list of people in Excel and you're going, I've got to talk to these people at least four times a year, like that feels transactional in a sense, but the connection points into them may not be, right? Yes, one of those might be a text conversation back and forth. But also one might be a phone call where you end up spending, you know, 30 to 60 minutes together and you go a little bit deeper. Um, and, and then one might be a trip out to spend some time with somebody. And again, you, you find ways to become more efficient with these kinds of things to where maybe you're knocking out three or four of those in one trip or one day. Um, so again, there, you know, there's the relationships as it relates to your partners, right? Which there's you know, a number of like, you know, whether you've got 50, 75, 100, 150 partners, it's a lot of people to keep up with. So it's just finding where you need to spend your time as it relates to your existing business, always selling. And so you're building those relationships with, you know, individuals maybe you're not working with right now. And then like from a recruiting standpoint too, they're like, we're always trying to hire good people. We're hiring, trying to hire good people right now um, on the sales side. And so trying to stay in touch with as many people as possible and stay connected to counterparts um, around the industry that um, might lead to us, you know, finding really talented people that we can bring in and be a part of our team. So 
again, there's a lot of different buckets of relationships that you talked about of like, how do you keep up with all that? And that's the kind of, you know, magic question of like, how do you do that? And I think you do your best and you try and put guardrails in place that keep you on track. Um, but never enough hours in a day and you do your best to try and stay connected to people that are most important to you and most important to your business. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's unique to everybody, right? Everybody's got their different way of going about it, but appreciate the insight there. When you think about your role now, managing a team and going from individual contributor, right, to management, what's been the biggest thing that you've learned and or wish you knew when you first started? And uh, yeah, I think, I think it's, Everybody reads the leadership books and everybody has their style and everybody thinks, here's how I'm going to come in. I'm going to be a leader in my first year or whatever it is. Um, and it's the whole, like, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth kind of a mantra. Like, it's not, it's not what anybody thinks it's going to be. I think just the, you know, the level of time, energy, and effort that goes into investing in the relationships and the people that you work alongside is like can, can't be understated because if you don't have really good like if you don't have really good people working on your team that work hard that are invested then like nothing's going to happen <laughs> because you can't do it all on your own and i think as a contributor you're contributing so much and again you see the results and like it's just this okay i put this much in and this much comes out right so like you you kind of get that as when you move into roles where you're managing teams of people um, it's not as black and white of like me putting in this much and this much coming out. Um, because if somebody on your team has challenges or issues, those challenges and issues are your challenges and issues too. And the, the larger your team, the more challenges and issues you might run into. Right. And so I think one, like investing in the people that work in our group and like letting them know that like, care about them as an individual um, outside of work like those things are are really important and showing them that you actually do is really important too rather than just kind of giving some lip service um so i think that's been the biggest thing is just that like you know when you've got a a, a larger team um there's just there's more that impacts you whereas you're when you're an individual individual contributor um it's, you know, your world is kind of right here, you know, it's right in front of you. Um, so that's been, again, I think something over the last like number of years that I've, I've learned and, but I've also really enjoyed. That's the best part of it is seeing the people you work alongside do really well and grow and um, feel, feel fulfilled. When you think about the skills that you're focusing on, how does that change in terms of uh, individual contributor to leader, right? And it may not be anything different. It might just be different contexts, but are there any skills that you've started to focus on otherwise? Um, I'd say maybe not different skills. I think it's just more of like time management was always important as a, as a seller. Like time management is, I feel like 10 times more important now. So I think it's just like, it's the habits that are put into place no matter what job you're doing and no matter what role, whether it's management or contributor or whatever, like I think just the, the habits that you put into place, like time management, um, 
are really important. And I think those things that you are focused on and committed to um, early in your career, and I think finding what are those two or three things that I'm going to separate myself and be better. Um, Ryan Tanky, who I, I report to, like always talks about like, what's your superpower? Like, what do you do differently than everybody else? What makes you better than everybody else? Finding those one or two or three things and really fostering those things early in your career, um, I think is important because it'll probably serve you well um, when you move into to, um, a, you know, different roles throughout your career. So to me, like time management has always been something that's been really important to me. Um, and it means different things now than it meant, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, but it doesn't change how important it is to being successful. You teed up my next question. What is your superpower? Ooh, uh, I think for me, superpower is just, um, is the ability to, to connect and motivate. You know, I, I love finding the connection points that exist between me and anybody. Um, so I think it's to connect with people have, has made me a successful salesperson because that's what I think at the very beginning of a conversation, you've got one shot to make a, a first impression um, and then motivate for sure. I, like I'll cheat and throw another one in and I, I do work ethic is something um, that I think separates myself and I, I think should separate um, most people that are in these types of roles and positions. Um, and again, work ethic means something different now than it meant 15 years ago for me too. When I was selling tickets for the A's as a single guy, like I could work 12, 14 hour days, five, six days a week and not think anything of it, right? Now I've got a one-year-old, a three-year-old and a wife and a little bit more going on in life. And so um, those 12, 14 hour days like still exist, just a little bit different as it relates to what hours of the day or night those are. Um, so I think like work ethic to me is, is something that I always hope separates me uh, from other people. But um, again, the first thing that I always kind of think about is just ability to connect and, and motivate. One of the, one of the, the people I worked for said, you know, geography is like one of the easy things that if you, if you've lived enough places, you could connect with people, right? Because more or less, they're either from somewhere, they know someone from there, right? Like, yeah. and at least moving from North Carolina to the Bay Area to Minnesota, you've got enough places in your, in your, uh, in your pocket, you probably could pull out. Yeah, and I think like, just life experience too, which again, is sometimes harder for somebody that's a little bit younger. But I mean, I played college basketball and baseball, I won a national championship in college, which was awesome. I like, had the ability to, you know, where you're spending your time outside of work too, like I, you know, supporting the community I work with, working with individuals that are maybe less fortunate than I am. Um, I've been uh, really committed to um, uh, an organization in the Bay Area where we went into San Quentin and, and played against the inmates um, there a few times a month. And it was one of the coolest experiences of my life and, and opened my eyes to a lot as it relates to our, our prison systems and the people that are in there. Um, and it was, became a huge passion point for me. So I just, I think part of it is yes, like geography is one. And then it's just life experiences too, um, because you get to learn more about people. And if you can connect some of your life experiences to theirs, it opens up conversations and um, builds trust 
which is a big thing in what we do. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you though around geography. That's a big piece of it. All right. As we wrap up the episode, we're going to, we're going to head to some rapid fire. Um, when you think about your national championship, um, what's the one thing that comes to mind that you still, that still sticks with you today? Could be a play, could be a moment. Well, the camera, because it was on CBS, it caught me on the bench, like chewing on my towel with <laughs> 30 seconds left. We were down by seven with 45 seconds. And so it caught me at the worst time. And it looked like I was maybe crying. I wasn't crying. So unfortunately, that's the first thing I think about is just uh, how ridiculous I looked on national TV. But um, again, also think about like the great guys on that team and the relationships and brothers that I've got for life. But yeah, unfortunately, that the towel incident sticks out. Well, this was rapid fire, but I have to ask, how did you come back seven points in 45 seconds and win? Go look at it. Just search Barton College on uh, on YouTube. Our, our point guard scored 10 points in the last 40 seconds. It's probably wow. the best finish to a college basketball game ever. It was just division two. So maybe it didn't get as much shine as it as it would have if it was D1, but um, pretty incredible. Then he became the Globetrotters um, point guard for 15 years after that. Holy cow. All right, back to the rapid fire. Uh, favorite uh, sport outside of basketball? Um, baseball. I should, I should have said outside of basketball and baseball, given that you <laughs> played both in college. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'd go, I'd go cricket. Don't know much about it, but I love, like, I've been really interested in some of the, the, the business opportunities that have taken place overseas. So somehow I've gotten into cricket, maybe a little more. I thought I would. Have you seen a match yet? No. Live? No. All right. So that's on the list. That's on the list. Yeah. If you, if you could go and see one event, game, wherever in the, in the world, where would it be? And what is it? Um, I think it would be World Cup somewhere in, in Europe. World Cup is coming to the U.S. soon, too. I know. I know. That's why I had to say Europe, because, like, I'm, I'll probably get a chance to do something when it's here. Yeah. But anywhere, I think I think doing it in Europe would be would be pretty special. Best food in Minnesota? Oh, Juicy Lucy's. That's what we're known for. Do what, do they, what do they have? What's the go-to item? Well, do you know what a Juicy Lucy is? I don't know if that you wanted that to be a wrap. No. No. What's... It's a, cheese, it's, a, it's a cheeseburger that has the, the cheese melted on the inside. So when you bite into it, it burns the hell out of your mouth and you're miserable for the next week, but it's really good. Um, so Juicy Lucy, I'd say, is uh, the, best, the best thing here in Minnesota. Last one for you. Uh, best memory as a Bobcat? Oh, Court Street. Just Court Street. That's all. I mean, I think Mike drop. <laughs> yeah, you you know, like the 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 times on Court Street with classmates and again other alumni, like you just can't beat. Um, and again, those relationships, they'll be friendships for life. So grateful for those times on Court Street. 
David, really appreciate your insights, thoughts, perspectives, advice. Uh, really, really enjoy the conversation and certainly looking forward to having you on again in the near future. For sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jake. Thanks for listening to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And remember, if you like this episode or you like the Life in the Front Office podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Really appreciate you tuning in and stay tuned for the next one.